Before we begin today's show, we're still talking about basketball here on the Hoop Collective Pod. And you know who else is? Our guy, Adrian Wojnarski. In his most recent episode of the Roach Pod, he welcomed in our friend Bobby Marks to talk about the Chicago Bulls' search for a new front office executive. On top of that, you all know the great Zach Lowe. He put out a special podcast this weekend with future Hall of Famer Pau Gasol in a conversation you won't want to miss. The Woj Pod and the Low Post. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. Today we have, I think there's, I think uh, this is going to be some fiery topics on this, as much as you can get fiery topics in the middle of a quarantine. Um, joining us from Boston in quarantine, but not isolation. I do think that's a key difference in this time, this day and age is Tim Bontemps. Tim, I, according to uh, Andrew Hahn, because you started this call like a, uh, like it was a Zoom call, <laughs> you are sporting a quarantine beard. That is correct. Till tomorrow. Because uh, now there's an ordinance that you have to go outside with uh, face masks in Boston, and uh, beards don't work with face masks. So that's ending tomorrow. I'd like to see a photo, though. Um, uh, it could be a current. probably do that. And uh, Kevin Pelton, who's joining us from Seattle, he's been bearded for years. He just be, it would only be news if you didn't have a beard. That would, that would be news for sure. It's been at least five years. I can't grow a beard. Um, Andrew Hahn is in Los Angeles. Troy Farkas is in Connecticut um, behind the scenes here. So Monday, which would be, I guess, today when this podcast comes out, we have a, uh, uh, what would you call it, a fresh release of the future power rankings, which is a really cool thing that Kevin Pelton and Bobby Marks um, do where they sort of evaluate the future. Well, Kevin, I'll let you say it. How would you describe the future power rank, because you've been doing them for years now, but how would you describe them? Yeah, I mean, I think the original concept is we are very used to these week-to-week power rankings of where teams right now, but that's not necessarily telling us the thing that people are very interested in. Is is has been discussed on this, this pod many times. It's less about where your team is right now and more about where you're headed. So, you know, the goal is to project team performance over the next three seasons when we do it mid-season like this time. Assuming there there is a rest of the season, but uh, it encompasses the remainder of this hypothetical season and then the two upcoming seasons after that. And uh, Bobby and I, we rate the teams in five different categories. There are players currently on the roster and, and based on who we'd expect to be on the roster, who of them we'd expect to be on the roster, how we'd expect them to develop over the next two seasons. Money, which is their their uh, potential to you know have cap space, and then also you know whether on the other side whether they've got any luxury tax concerns that are going to prevent them from spending money. Draft picks over the next two drafts, the the market attractiveness to free agents, and then team management, and then that all goes into a formula, and that becomes the future power rankings. Right. So the last time you did this was in the fall. And to me, it's a good check on uh, whether this has been a you know good for your team year for your team's stock or a bad year for your team's stock because uh, that to me is uh, what, what I looked at in these rankings and it's a it's a really good read it's packed full of information um, it comes out on Monday you can read through it there's some great information here it goes through all the rankings and there's uh, analysis on each team um, but there's a few things that jumped out to me. Um, First off, I'll just tell you that uh, the number one team is the same team as it was in the fall. 
And the number one team going forward you have is the LA Clippers. Um, their, their score, I don't know how much we should go into the scoring. Um, it's kind of close. And the LA Lakers are second. They jumped up from number six. Um, I don't, it wasn't a hard call to keep the Clippers first, was it, uh, Felton? I mean, it's closer than it was before, as you mentioned. A big thing for the Lakers is their management score improved quite a bit, and that was holding them back. But, you know, Frank Vogel has done a a strong job in his first season as head coach, which was a question mark coming into the year. And then these these moves they've made last summer, I think, have generally worked pretty well. You feel better about their direction going forward with Rob Polinka. So that helped even it up because in terms of players, we had those two teams tied at the top. The, The difference ultimately comes down to the fact that the Clippers do have a top three management score from us. Okay, so um, I want to focus on the teams that made the biggest moves, and you know, in the rankings. And I'm going to focus on the teams that dropped first. You had the Brooklyn Nets number two uh, at the start of the season. Obviously, with Durant, you know, you're assuming him getting healthy. You're assuming that their young players develop. Um, they've had a rocky season. Be, you know, Kyrie Irving was injured for most most of the time. But they are going to be a playoff team, and I don't think their expectations were that high. But you have dropped them to number nine, seven spots from number two in the fall to number nine now. Um, you know, what was the thought process and the way that played out? Why are you less? Why are you bearish on them a little bit right now? Yeah, I mean, the, the phrase I used uh, in the, the write-up of the Nets is that I think we were maybe a little irrationally exuberant in the uh, in the fall coming into the season. I mean, we knew that it was going to be this kind of a down season, and yeah, that's probably something that we should have done a better job factoring in in the players' category. But one of the big differences is in the management score, and, and they actually were fourth back in the fall. Now, all of a sudden, we don't know who the head coach is going to be after they let Kenny Atkinson go uh, right before games stopped being played. And also, I feel like you look at their decisions over the past, you know, six months or so, it's no longer quite as clear that this front office is, you know, right at the top of the league is where I think we saw them. In the fall, the the Torian Prince extension is probably one they wouldn't do again if you had it to do over. You know, the the whole process of how DeAndre Jordan ended up starting over Jared Allen is, you know, we could do several podcasts on that. But that's something that I think is a concern going forward as, as Jordan continues to decline on the back end of his career and Jared Allen improves. And, you know, those kind of factors, I think, loomed large for me. Tim covered the uh, the Nets on a daily basis for the New York Post for how many seasons, Tim? Four. Yeah. And you, you were even around them even longer than that. And uh, you have great insight into the Nets. So I want to know what what you think about this ranking and how you evaluate what they've done this year. I mean, I thought the ranking was crazy in the, in the fall to have them second, given that we're looking at the next three years and Kevin Durant wasn't going to play for one of them entirely. And I still think this is way too high now, even at nine. Um, we have no way idea – we have no idea what Durant is going to look like when he comes back. We have no idea what state Kyrie Irving is going to be in. He played 20 games. He had a shoulder surgery. Um, he's not really proven durable at any point in recent years. Um, this team doesn't have a coach. Uh, we have no idea who they're going to hire as the coach. We're not sure what they're going to do with the rest of their roster. You know, They have a really low money ranking for obvious reasons. They're going to be way in the tax, depending on where the cap ends up. Could be way, way into the tax, so they're going to keep guys – like Joe Harris is going to be a free agent. They're going to trade other guys. So I think that the Nets, like I wouldn't have the Nets ahead of several of the teams behind them because I, I just think that they're 
their especially their immediate future is just way too cloudy to know how good they're going to be. And I think it's hard to expect them to be a top four team in the East. So if you listen to this podcast last summer and fall, I, I, I was not really excited about the Nets. Although I wouldn't necessarily have, have quibbled with the ranking, you know, because Duran is so good. Um, you know, last week, uh, I don't remember what day it was, but ESPN replayed games five and seven of the 2016 finals. And if you watch those games, I mean, obviously I was at the games, but to watch Kyrie Irving when he was just the majesty of when he's at the top of his offensive game like he was at that point, you remember what all the fuss is over about Kyrie. To watch Kyrie where he is sort of in a number two role, the excitement level if I was a Nets fan would be would return. Um, my problem is, is that Kyrie is not the same guy that he was three years ago. You know, the more and more you watch what he does and what he says, uh, he's he's out there. And, you know, Durant is a guy who's, who's who can be emotionally fragile. And I am worried about that pairing. And the other thing is the DeAndre Jordan thing, like ultimately at the end of the day, he is a role player. But the way that the organization bent over to not only give him what I thought was a pretty outrageous contract – Four years, forty million, but to then make him basically the starter in what to me looks like a role of appeasement, um, and not, it's, again, it's not really against him. It's more about how much I like Jared Allen. It really concerns me. I mean, as soon as those signings happened, most of the NBA, most of the insiders in the NBA, and Tim, correct me if I'm wrong here. Please step in. People were like, "Well, Kenny Atkinson's never going to survive that." I mean, oh, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I mean, I was surprised it happened when it did. Don't get me wrong; I'm not like hey, taking 2020 like, oh, you can see that coming. I couldn't see it coming that week, but I could see it coming last summer. I doubted he was going to be in that job for long. And in fact, as the season went along, it was one of the things that was whispered about: is well, there might be a change in Brooklyn. Um, and they have just changed so far, so much from the team that they were to acquire those pieces. That said, I really can't. You know, when you watch that those Kyrie Finals games, you understand why Sean Marks did what he did. Um, that the juice well, might Sean be Marks did what he did. Sean Marks did what he did to get Kevin Durant, and that included getting Kyrie Irving. I mean, I, I think that's I think that's where this all comes down. And, and look, the, the Nets the Nets are are betting on Kevin Durant becoming Kevin Durant again, and that that is the entire question, right? If he becomes a top five or ten player in the league again post Achilles then this ranking's justified and they'll probably end up even being higher than that, right? And if he can't, they're not going to be. And that's that's it. Kyrie is an ancillary piece in that because he's not good enough. See, to back I, that I, I don't know, man. Again, yes, he is. But if he can be the Kyrie who was, who was just like the ultimate 1A player. Kyrie was, uh, Kyrie was playing next to one of the greatest players of all time, and all he had to do was score. So if Kevin Durant can return to being one of the greatest players of all time, and all he has to do is score, then yes, that can happen. And but that's, that's why what I'm saying. Well, but that, well, that's again, what I'm saying. But the, that, the, the environment for him is set up better in Brooklyn than it was in Boston. I, I'm not. I'm not disputing that if Kevin Durant is healthy. But that's the thing. Like you're talking about Kyrie and what Kyrie did in 2016. It's not about Kyrie. It's about Kevin Durant. Bob Sams, do we have a good feel for how Joe Sy is going to spend? Now, let me just say that we are in the middle of a emotionally 
you know, of, of a fireball that has blasted the world economy. Um, but Joe Tsai uh, recently got um, a several billion dollar windfall from listing his company um, on the you know on the Hong Kong index. I'm not a high finance guy, but he had a very his finances improved already a billionaire. His finances improved even dramatically after that. Um, has there been any indication whether this is going to be green light city or, or what? I know he's not as out there as Prokhorov was when it Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't know if this is going to be like Dan Gilbert with the Cavs at the peak of his spending or, or Mikhail Prokhorov back when the Nets were spending close to $200 million. But I, I mean, I think the expectation is that Joe Sy is going to, be willing to spend money. But look, like I've mentioned before, this summer is really going to be a chance to prove that, right? Joe Harris is going to be a free agent. It's a key piece for them. He's developed into one of the best three-point shooters in the league. He's probably going to command a decent number on the open market. They've already got a bunch of guys under under contract. You, Kevin mentioned the Torian Prince extension. He's making eight figures. Karis LeVert's going to have a big extension kicking in. Spencer Dinwiddie's on an eight-figure extension. you got DeAndre Jordan, Kyrie, Kevin Durant. That's a lot of guys making a lot of money. So are you going to Joe Harris or are you – or are you going to have to trade off guys or whatever to, yeah. to bring that number down? Pelton, you ranked them 28th in money. That was their lowest ranking. Um, and that's mostly because of lack of flexibility, right? Or did you evaluate that you didn't think they were going to spend? No, that wasn't a specific concern. I, you know, I, when I went through and did it, I started with kind of basically how much money you can have available in free agency, which is cap space, and then the exception. So a team like them that has the taxpayer exception both years would be at the bottom. And then I adjusted a little bit from that for teams where I thought that like the willingness to spend would be an issue, but not not their case. All right. Well, talking about spending, the Houston Rockets plunged. In this ranking, you you had them ranked number four in the uh, in the fall, and you have them ranked fifteenth now. Um, talk to us a little bit about that evaluation. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a combination of things. First off, you know, they were third in players back in the fall, and and that kind of implies that you should be one of the top three teams in the league right now because of the fact that you've got an uh, I think the league's oldest roster by you know, when you wait by minutes played. So, you know, the fact that they are not there right now, that they're not as well as they played played after the Robert Covington trade, still not serious, I think, championship contenders in the West uh, is troubling when you project out forward as this core starts to age a little bit. And then the other big drop for them, same thing as Brooklyn, was in management where they were actually tied with Brooklyn at fourth in the fall, now down to 13th. Uh, number one, the, the general expectation in the league seems to be that Mike D'Antoni won't be the coach there anymore. And then number two, I think you have to wonder in the wake of, you know, his tweet uh, about Hong Kong, even though that seems so, so long ago at this point, given everything that uh, that we have been through as a world, uh, whether Daryl Morey is long for the Rockets. Well, how do you evaluate Tillman Fertitta? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the other question, Mark, is, you know, how much is he interfering with things and, you know, affecting their willingness to spend? They're one of the two teams that is ranked lower in the money category than the Nets uh, because of that. And, you know, I it, it feels like to me, if if both sides had a clear path out of that, I mean, this is complete speculation on my part, but if both sides had a path out of that, it would make sense for both sides for Daryl Morey to be somewhere else. Tim, I don't totally understand the high finance and all the maneuvers that Tillman Fertitta um, has done to, to finance the Rockets, but I can tell you that 
he's hurting very badly. Out of all the owners um, right now, he is hurting very, very badly. Also, uh, the Arison family who owns uh, Carnival Cruise Lines um, basically have had to shut their businesses down. Um, but uh, there were there were cracks in the armor here before with before this happened with Tillman. Um, this drop, uh, are you in agreement with it? I am to a point. I mean, I think that the Rockets are a little better today and probably for the next two years than Kevin would say from like a talent standpoint. But I, I certainly would second all of his questions about the management slash coaching slash ownership side of things. I mean, like Kevin said, I mean, the, the wide expectation is that Mike D'Antoni is not going to be the coach there next year. So then you have to figure out who's going to replace him. Daryl Morey's future is obviously in question. And the Rockets have, you know, since Tillman Fertitta bought the team, the Rockets have cut costs at basically every turn, um, leading to some amusing quotes before and after they have done that, too, by the way. Um, and it's hard to see them changing course on that, especially in light of recent events. So, you know, certainly if you if you just factor in the current talent, like I think they are good enough to be an upper echelon team in the West for the next couple of years. When you factor in these other things, it's going to drop them down, you know, a lot farther down than it probably should. So I did not like the Westbrook trade. I know that it was celebrated in certain corners because it was viewed. Chris Paul was viewed as one of the worst contracts, if not the, the worst contract in the lead. I did not like that trade because I didn't like uh, Westbrook and Harden playing together. And it took them a while, but they have figured it out. Um, Westbrook was, has been great, and the team has been pretty good. And even though Harden has been diminished a little bit, um, that's probably healthy for them. And, and, you know, yet again, if I was the Rockets, I would say, you know, this coach that we've got, Mike D'Antoni, figured out how to make Chris Paul and James Harden work, although they didn't love each other. But, you know, they were on the cusp of a championship playing together. Then you throw him a big curveball. He changes roster up completely several times over. And he figures out how to make Westbrook and um, and Harden somewhat effective together. And so I'm actually more bullish on that pairing now than I was at the beginning of the season. Um, where my concern with the Rockets is, is number one, that I'm worried their team's going to break down because uh, Westbrook has had so many knee troubles and it hasn't affected his athleticism, but I'm worried about his future just in general. And then there are high-level role players. Covington has had injury issues. Gordon has had a bunch bunch of injury injury issues he was almost an abnormality that he was healthy the last couple of years he's been banged up all year and what they are asking pj tucker to do on that team it's like a ticking time bomb if they continue to play that that way um my gosh if we come back in this season and we have to play an abbreviated or tightened schedule um i'm worried about pj tucker making it because of what they make him do and so i'm just i'm worried about that now um Money ranked them 29th, Pelton. Um, we know that, you know, Fertitta's, um, the, I believe it was, I'm trying to think if it was Bloomberg or Forbes. One of the two wrote a story that talked about Fertitta's, just the way he financed his, all of his businesses. He needs $250 million a year in cash just to support the debt that he's got. He's highly leveraged. But if he were on this podcast, he would probably say, yeah, but he outright owns everything. He outright owns his restaurants, Empire. He outright owns his hotels and casinos. He outright owns the Rockets. And, um, you know, that's, that's valuable. I'm not going to try to play a high finance game. I know that he's got some financial issues. 
But the other thing that you've got here, Kevin, you've ranked them dead last in the whole league in their future draft assets. And that's the thing. This team has done so many big deals that they've traded away first-round picks each of the last two years, basically in money-saving maneuvers, and they've traded away the bulk of their future draft to the to the Thunder. And if I'm worried, or at least the control of their future draft, if it wasn't the bulk of it, and if I'm worried about some of these guys that they have aging and an old team, they don't have good ways to replace those guys. And so that, to me is why I think the number 15 ranking, it's more about what they can do to improve. It's going to be very difficult. If they can't sign big free agents and they can't really draft anybody, am I, am I wrong? Yeah, and you explain that draft further. So like you mentioned, they've already traded this year's pick. That went to Denver as part of that four-team trade that landed them Covington. And then though they have a pick in 2021, it's a swap with Oklahoma City where not only can the Thunder swap their own pick with the Rockets, which wouldn't necessarily be that great in and of itself, they can also swap the Heat's pick that they are getting as part of the Paul George trade, they can swap that with Houston. So they got two chances to uh, to move up if Houston does you know, struggle next season. Uh, so the Rockets are very likely to end up with a bottom 10 pick. And they also traded away last year's pick. So some rookie that they could have had developing who potentially could step in and get minutes, even if it was a low pick. I mean, Clint Capella was a low pick. He was in the 20s, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, you know the the you know and, and I know that they they specialize in going out and finding these diamonds in the rough, Daniel House of the world, etc. But it's not just going forward; it's also going backwards. They don't have young players in the pipeline, so that's a uh, that's a concerning trend. Um, all right, so the, another team that that fell precipitously, Philly Seventy Sixers. They you now rank them twelfth going forward. In the fall, you had them seventh. How high have the 76ers been on this ranking uh, in the last few years? What was their? Do you remember off the top of your head? I've got the full breakdown here. They peaked at fourth. They were fourth both in March 2018 and then March of last year as well. So both times previously we've done it midseason. So one year later, they had gone from fourth to twelfth, seventh to twelfth. Um, Tim spends a lot of time with the 76ers now. He's essentially oh. their beat writer for us. Uh, before I let him go on this, uh, talk about the methodology putting them there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a lot more questions about how the talent fits together. They were number two in terms of players when we did this in the fall. They have, you know, a, a relatively young core of players led by Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons that you'd think would air, age pretty well over the next three years. But, you know, that's when everyone was thinking that this could be the number two team in the Eastern Conference, maybe even the number one team in the Eastern Conference. And they haven't been anything close to that. I think they've, you know, I think they're better than we've seen them play so far this year. They're still seventh in the players category, which is, you know, higher than their record would rate this thus far this year. But uh, uh, and then the questions about, you know, how well Embiid and Simmons fit together. Will those guys be there long term? Al Horford being a disappointment. I think all of those have factored into their drop. Tim, your thoughts on this? I, I mean, this is kind of like Houston in that I think, you know, I could see where the ranking comes in when you factor in the lack of financial flexibility, the lack of draft assets, you know, the fact that Brett Brown may not be the coach going forward. Like, I, I get it, but I, I also think this is too low. Like, for example, it's hard for me to believe that the Sixers should not be ahead of the Nets, uh, given they're way better than the Nets this year, and they have two 
younger and better players than Kyrie Irving for sure. And potentially at least one of their players. You could, I think Joel Embiid is a very good chance of being better than Kevin Durant the next two years, given what Kevin Durant is trying to come back from. Um, you know, we, we have obviously seen the Sixers be all over the place this season, but when this team has been at its best, they've beaten everybody in the league at home, right? They then lost everybody in the league on the road, uh, which is obviously a problem, but I think their ceiling is high enough that I think they should be higher up on this list because if they can find a way to put it together, whether it is they have the current group or they make some changes or they bring in a new coach that figures it out, they have still, in my opinion, championship ceilings. So I think they should be higher on the list. But again, given the overall methodology, I can understand where they ended up where they're at. Well, look, the future of the 76ers to me is um... – Obviously, Embiid and Simmons, and if it doesn't work, what they do with Embiid or Simmons, and whether they can make a big time trade. Um, that is to me really what it is. And if I were the Sixers, I would be spending a lot of time during this layoff analyzing every possible angle on an Embiid trade in case you have to make it this summer. Especially, you rank them 30th in money, Kevin, because of how much they have committed to this team going forward. Yeah, I mean, they're starting next year in the luxury tax, even with the the old cap projection, which we know is almost certainly going to go down. And it's probably not a coincidence the three teams we've talked about so far are 28, 29, and 30 in that category. Depending on what happens with this virus, and we just don't know. We could sit here for hours and guess. We'd just be guessing. We could be facing a dramatic fall in the uh, in the salary cap and luxury tax in the short term, and that could apply pressure to the to the Sixers on their payroll because they've got so much committed. And there's going to be negotiations made. Every, the rules aren't going to stay the same, I'm sure. But I think that they've got to be really watching that figure especially. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, Brian, well, did you yeah. say that they should be exploring an Embiid, like you're, you would trade Embiid if it came to Well, that? Well, th- th- now you're aggregating. What I said was if I were them, I would be looking at all of my options and brainstorming. Well, well let me jump um, in. It was just, it was very recently when Sixers ownership was looking to cut, uh, ask people to take voluntary pay cuts, uh, that Joel Embiid stepped in and offered to give half a million dollars to the employees who are going to have their salaries cut. And then the ownership had to turn around and renege on that. So when you already subsequently, though, Josh Harris and Embiid have come together and donated money together. That is correct. But when you just, as you accurately said, a ongoing plot line with this team has been, can Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid work long term, right? If you have Embiid going head to head with ownership in a very public way and forcing them to back down in the court of public opinion, um, you know, that's something to monitor as you go forward looking at what they end up deciding to do. I mean, there's no question. I mean, you have to you have to factor everything in when you look at the potential ramifications for stuff down the road. All right. Um, to be continued on that. Okay, a couple of teams that went up the rankings that I thought were, were worth uh, paying attention to. You mentioned the Lakers going from six to two. Um, and you mentioned that was management. Uh, also, I just think that LeBron and Anthony Davis have looked really good together. LeBron looks good. Um, you know, they're both fragile. You need them to stay healthy. Um, and I think this is the, you know, I think this is the weakest the Lakers are going to be for the next few years because you give them, uh, a, a transaction cycle or two where they can use their exceptions and bring in some players. 
Uh, I'm in agreement with that. Um, I don't know if I'd have them too, but I'm not going to fight that. I mean, I don't have much more to say unless you do, Tim, on that. I, I mean, the only thing I would push back on is, I mean, we've argued about this privately all year, really. I, I'm not quite as bullish on the idea that they're definitely going to be better going forward. I mean, they have a very old roster across the board. Not only has LeBron played a billion minutes and is 35, but a lot of these guys are relying on, whether it's Danny Green or now Dwight Howard or a lot of these vets are older players. Um, so they're going to have to kind of fight the age curve too. But there's no question that as long as LeBron and AD are healthy, um, they're going to be a team and have to win the title for sure. Yeah, I actually think though the the tightening of the of the of the market in terms of the free agent money plays into their hands because the, yeah. if there's less money available, it makes the destination and role and very true ch- championship chase more important, and I think that plays into their hands. Um, um, they are limited going forward. Um, in ter- you know we, we can't project the cap at this point, but. Um, you know, I have been a big believer and I think they need one more big time piece. I'm not prepared to call them a championship team yet, but, um, I do think that their, their short term future is pretty bright. All right. The team that made a real big jump. Well, well, before we, before we do this, I really just want to call this one bit out because our own Tim Bontemps very famously made two p- predictions last season that he hit on about the Raptors winning the championship and the Lakers failing to make the playoffs. And, he made another prediction about the Lakers this season saying that they would not win 50 games and everyone was mocking that, but the season is stalled right now and they're at 49 games. And I've seen a lot of Laker fans wow. on social media suffering because they might not actually be able to fulfill that. Fill <laughs> that uh, did, you, did you make any wagers on that? I don't think there no, was any I, uh, asterisks. Honest, it was, I believe it was on this same podcast with you two in the fall when we were talking about the Lakers and I just offhandedly said they weren't going to win 50 games because I thought they'd win like 45 to 48. And uh, a lot of people freaked out about it all year. And uh, I was looking forward to being wrong about it. And maybe I won't be, unfortunately. We'll, <laughs> we'll find out. Well, I hope you are wrong. How about that? I hope so, too. Believe me. <laughs> I hope I'm very wrong. You, uh, the, if you were saved, you were saved by the Brooklyn Nets who won that final game. I, I, you know? <laughs> I was thinking, you know, uh, 47 to 52 or something. I don't remember what I said, but I was thinking a four of, you know, three, four, five, six seed for the Lakers somewhere in there because it's yeah. pretty tight. They are way better than I thought they would be. I've, no, they've I'm been assuming. fantastic. All right, the team that made the biggest jump, unless I misread this, uh, Pelton, he, uh, uh, Toronto Raptors going from 18th in the fall to sixth now. You've got them number one in management, I'd like to point out while you're there, but go ahead with your methodology on that one. Yeah, I mean, you know, in hindsight, the fact that they were only sixth in management in the fall seems way too low. I mean, I I think you can make a case based on what we've seen the last couple of years that Nick Nurse has, is the best coach in the NBA. I I don't necessarily personally agree with. Wow, there's, there's that case. I, aggressive. There. I, that's aggressive. I actually I actually think he is. I yeah, think I mean, based off his track record. Uh, our our buddies Nate Duncan and John Hollinger did coach rankings a few weeks ago on their podcast and had Nick Nurse number one. Uh, I don't think there's much question at this point that Masai Ujiri and in, in that front office is uh, the most credible or at least you know top two or three in the league. So you know they got to score very highly in management. And then I think the other aspect that goes into this is when we were doing this in the fall, kind of the thinking was okay, Toronto might sell off. 
you know, Kyle Lowry might not be there after the trade deadline, Gasol and Baca. Instead, the Lowry extension that they did that set up really nicely with their timeline. And then the fact that they played so well this season, that's not a consideration. It looks like, you know, we will see what they do in free agency this summer because they're going to have Gasol and Ibaka will be free agents as well as Fred Van Vliet is going to be a very interesting free agent. Uh, it looks like they're going to team that is going to try to keep probably as much of it can as much as they can together for next season while still maintaining that flexibility to go out and end of the uh, into free agency in the summer of 2021 with max cap space. Can I say that when if I was a, an organization, before I go to Tim on this, if I was an organization looking for a coach, the inefficiency in the coaching ranks right now is the G League. Uh, Nick Nurse, G League championship coach, who uh, has come to the NBA and shown his flexibility. You feel, When you watch him coach, you feel his experience, whether it was he's coached over in Europe, um, coach the G League, you feel how he's made do with less, and he makes it. You can just tell. Um, Taylor Jenkins in uh, in Memphis had a spectacular season um, for a first time. Another former G League coach, I think Mike Miller has opened. He's certainly opened my eyes. I think he's done a really nice job in New York, and I think he'll get an opportunity someday if it's not in with the Knicks. Um, I'd be I'd be scanning the G League right now for the best G League coaches if I had a, co- a coach opening. Tim, you uh, also cover the Raptors highly heavily for us. You know them very very well. Um, actually, they're tied for sixth uh, in fairness with the Mavericks, um, who also made a pretty big jump, but uh, not quite as big. But um, uh, your thoughts on on this ranking? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think this is almost an inverse of of a team like the Sixers, right? Where I think the Sixers have the higher ceiling, but the Raptors organization is a much better and more solid organization. Um, so I think they deserve the ranking that they have. You know, obviously, we'll see what they can do in the summer of 2021. I think we all agree their current roster isn't quite good enough to be a real championship contender. They're good enough to be a really good team, and they have a great coach, and they have a great front office, and that should be staying together for a while. So uh, let me speak to that for a second. Okay, so the Knicks job was open. They filled it with Leon Rose and not Masai Ujiri. A lot of people have targeted Toronto as a candidate to try to poach um, a Giannis Tenacumpo if he were to leave Milwaukee because of his connection to Masai Ujiri, because of the type of city that it is. To point something out, before you worry about signing your free agents, you better sign your general manager or your president, I guess you'd say. Um, well, the all of their coaches and all of their front office is not signed after 2021. I might get on that if I was Larry Tannenbaum, the uh, the guy who runs it. I mean, I don't know if that's on their end, though. I mean, at the same by that standpoint, if you're Masai Ujiri, are you, aren't you probably waiting to see what happens? Whether well, you get the, the feeling that you, you honestly what, come? Then what is the owner's job in that situation, Kevin? To not make you. If you had Masai Ujiri and Nick Nurse as your head coach and your head of your front office, Kevin, would, would you do what it took to keep them or would you wait and see what happens? For sure. I'm just saying they might make a strong offer and Masai may, may, might prefer to wait. Well, well I, just, I, think to, I think to Brian's point, it's, it's an interesting thing to monitor that their entire front office and their entire coaching staff is not signed after 2021. I mean, well, I mean, let's put it this way. If Masai were a free agent in the summer of 2021, how many players would you rather have than Masai Ujiri? Well, I'd always rather have players ahead of ahead of management, but there's, but your point is well taken, and I'd also say that Bobby Webster 
is going to be a major – he was their general manager. He's going to be a major candidate for the Chicago Bulls opening, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. If I was if I was Larry Tannenbaum and Masai Ujiri, I'd try to make Bobby Webster not do his Skype interview or Zoom interview with the Bulls. Uh, KP. Um, uh, I into the Skype interview. KP, uh, when's the last time a franchise had the number one coach in the number one front office? Well, I mean, this is tough. I, you know, I had a conversation about this with my editor last week that because of the fact that it's so difficult to kind of parse credit, like, you know, when someone like Terrence Davis plays so well, is that because of the fact that the coaching staff is using him so well? Is it because of the fact that the front office found this unheralded gem? Like that's, that's always tough to parse that credit. So I think they tend to be pretty well I would correlated. Say both, actually on that front. Right. And that's, that's probably Can the Can we just answer. say that Nick Nurse is one of the best coaches in the league? I don't, I mean, He's a championship coach, but I mean, I don't know if I'd say, you know, I don't know if I'd say Masai Ujiri is number one. There's a lot of uh, great executives. I mean, so I guess you could, I guess the point that KP is making is that it's the, you can at least make the debate that nurse is the best coach and the Raptors have the best front office. So when is the last time that there was another franchise that had that kind of justification? I think people would have made that case about the Warriors a couple years ago. Or or the Spurs with RC and Pop or the Heat with Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra when they were winning titles. I'll go back to uh, when the the Pistons won the title. You know, back when the Pistons won the title in 04, Joe Dumars was on one of the hottest streaks you've ever seen at general. He made about seven moves in a row that were solid 14-karat gold. And he and that team was playing at the highest level with a low payroll. And then they had Larry Brown, who was very highly regarded at the time. But Dumars whiffed on the uh, on the big one, well, right? Later on, he whiffed. He then went on a terrible losing streak. But at the, there was a time where you could argue they were the two best coaches. Although Pop was at the top of his game then. All right, um, I would just say this: if I were the Raptors, I would be using this time to negotiate contract extensions with my president, my general manager, and my head coach. I would be making that a pretty big priority. All right. Can, can we make this Wendy's, uh, Wendy's advice for the quarantine period? <laughs> Whatever. I'm, nobody, nobody ever listens to me. Um, all right. The Miami Heat moved from 15 in the fall to 8th. Um, you have their players relatively low, tied for 12th in the rankings of the players, but the rest of the rankings are pretty high um, with one exception. But, Kevin, you're – I mean, obviously the Heat have had a spectacular season. Um, you like them at 8th. Why? Well, part of the reason the players' score is artificially low for them is they only have five players under contract for 2021-22. Now, you know, we know that Bam Adebayo, even though he's not technically one of those guys, will be part of that team. They'll probably wait to extend him to take advantage of his low cap hold. Uh, and then Duncan Robinson and, and Kendrick Nunn, who are both going to be restricted free agents as well that summer, they'll have really low cap hold. So they can keep all those guys and go out and pursue a max free agent, Giannis will obviously be at the top of their list. And it's that kind of flexibility that I think really stands out for the Heat. The fact that they're a competitive team now and have this chance to pivot and have a totally different, really star-strutted group a couple of years from now. And of course, that's a testament to, you know, uh, Tim mentioned this a couple, uh, a bit ago, but, you know, they're, they're strong front office led by Pat Riley and, and then, you know, strong coaching with Eric Spolster has done a great job of making use of this is a, this is a roster of good players. Players, but there are a lot of misfit parts in the amount of zone they're playing. I think Spo has, uh, you know, helped himself, his reputation in the past year here. I'll tell you what, um, they've also got a candidate for Bulls front office, Adam Simon. He is a invaluable, that front office, we've, I talked about it many on the pod, it's small and it's a powerhouse. And Adam Simon is 
one of the most underrated uh, executives in the league. Um, and he is a candidate for the Bulls job. And again, I would say, uh, who knows about the future, but he is a big-time valuable piece for them. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on, on the Heat at eight? Yeah, I mean, the Heat are back, right? I mean, for a couple of years, they were kind of in purgatory and you know floating around the fringes of the playoffs and not really in the mix. And now they're back. And you know, just being around them some this year, kind of the, the Heat swagger is back, which I think has been something the NBA has missed. And you know, Jimmy Butler is a perfect fit for the way they have carried themselves for really 25 years now since Pat Riley got there. Bam Adebayo, as Zach Lowe wrote in a great story about him a month ago, um, or I guess a couple months ago now, uh, is another guy that perfectly fits there. They're obviously a fantastic free agency destination. They're going to be going after star players. Um, you know, they're going to be right in the mix here going forward. And, um, you know, I think it's good for the league to have the Heat back. I mean, they've been one of the – the premier franchises, as you very well know, Brian, for a long time now, and it's it's a it's a lot more fun when they're they're back in the mix and one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. I have immense respect for the organization. Sometimes I quarrel with them, but it's only because I hold them in so high regard. Um, all right, so those were the big movers. I mean, there's a couple other things that have you know we're not going to go over everything. The Blazers dropped quite a bit. The Grizzlies jumped quite a bit. Um, we're talking about the Bulls in a second, but Tim, was there anything on the? I know that you had some feelings about the Warriors, who were number three in the fall and remain number three. Or, or is there what? Is there another topic you wanted to talk about? No, I mean I think we should talk about Golden State. I mean, to me, it's hard to justify Golden State being ahead of Milwaukee or even a couple teams after them in this list. I mean, if we're counting this year, Golden State's the worst team in the league. So it, it, that's one of the three years where they are going to have no shot to do anything. Whereas the Bucks are the best team in the league. So, unless that completely flips around, the last well, the Bucks rankings, the Bucks move from ninth to fourth. I understand that. Yeah. I'm just saying they're third and fourth in the list, and yeah. for me, it's it's hard to have Golden State that high. And you know, as part of the the explanation, uh, you know, the Warriors have Steph, Clay, Draymond, and Andrew Wiggins under contract. I don't think a lot of people view Andrew Wiggins being under contract for the next three years as a big positive. Um, you know, if if that leads them turning the draft picks they got into another star and they have another foursome to go forward with. Maybe things will be different, but uh, I think as of now with clay coming off a torn ACL and Steph Curry coming off a broken hand that had nerve issues in it and Draymond green having basically been off this year, it's kind of tough for me to see them being in the same spot right now until we actually see them prove they're at that same level. Kevin, one of the big things for me is uh, where their spending is going to be because, you know, they're figuring out a high draft pick this year. Um, uh, I don't know how there's going to be an impact player, but they've indicated that they're willing to use that Iguodala trade exception, which is $17 million, and either package it with the pick or acquire a player with it. That type of spending would push them into a deep luxury tax position. And... Um, they are famously the most wealthy team right now, but um, I'm not sure about that. I, I have to be convinced that that's going to happen, and uh, you do have their their money ranked pretty low, but you are bullish on this team. Are you bullish on this team? You've got them ranked sixth in total players. Are you bullish because of Curry and Clay coming back healthy, or are you bullish because of the Wiggins addition and plus the potential for the draft pick and that Iguodala exception? 
I mean, I think a little bit of both. You know, their players' score is actually their second lowest out of the five categories where they rank sixth in that one. Uh, it, it's partially the fact that they're just kind of strong across the board the way this is. And, and that's part of it. I, I agree with you guys. I think third is too high for the Warriors for the reasons that Tim laid out. Sometimes the formula just throws up something that doesn't quite match your sense, but that's the way it the works. The has been broken. But, Tim, uh, I win. I was Tim, uh, Tim, they rank fourth in management. I think Bob Myers, uh, Larry Harris, uh, Kirk Lacob, Joe Lacob, I think they have their track record is spectacular. Jerry West uh, was there, not no longer there, but he was part of it. I think their track record is spectacular. <clears throat> I'm not convinced that they're on the hottest streak right now. I didn't like the sign and trade. I didn't like what they did in the sign and trades to get the the whole thing to get Russell. I didn't like the Russell trade, although if the <laughs> I have to admit, if the if the Wolves pick ends up being a top five pick a year from now, and they ended up doing that, I, you know, it would look okay. I, I didn't like anything about the D'Angelo Russell thing. I didn't like signing him. I I didn't like the trade. Um, I'm not so sure about the number four in management right now. Well, look, I have not been a fan of the moves they've made for the last couple of years, really, going back to even the the mid level exception moves they used during the final couple of years that. Um, that Kevin Durant was there signing Nick Young. Yeah, and the Cousins Nick, thing was Marcus a little bit – that, that was some hubris. That was some hubris there. Well, they signed I mean, Nick they, Young the year before too, and I think you could argue that was too. I mean it – We should remember when they signed Cousins, the take around the league was, oh, no, they've broken the league. Like we can't possibly well, compete. I know was it wasn't my, yours, Tim. It wasn't was, any of ours, it, I don't it, think. Yeah. I, I, I thought they could have used some other pieces. Look – if Durant doesn't blow his Achilles, they may they may win the finals for all I know. I, I mean, I'm not going to be Look, here, too much here's, here's, here's the thing, right? Steve Kerr, great coach. Bob Myers, great GM, right? This, this Warriors team and their chances going forward, to me, hinge on what happens with their draft pick this year, the Wolves pick next year, and Andrew Wiggins. If that becomes another star player, in some form, whether they draft a guy who becomes a star or they trade for another star and they, they supplement their three Hall of Famers, then they're going to be in this mix going forward. If they can't, I think it's hard to see them living up to this ranking. And I think whatever happens either way with that, I think is going to tell the tale. And I think to your point about that $17 million trade exception, that's whenever we do get started again and whenever the offseason happens, that is one of the top two or three things that I'm looking at is what does Golden State do with that extension? Because I think a lot of people are baking in that they're going to trade for some player on a pretty big number contract with that exception. And I'm waiting to see if they actually are willing to commit the money to do remember, that. Draymond, remember, Draymond signed a big extension that has got to kicks in. That's going to lift their cap. Lift the, other their thing we should, the other thing we should mention with you know the possibility of a lower salary cap and luxury tax is all of a sudden there might be a lot more urgency for teams to get off of contracts that the Warriors can take advantage of. If if they're willing to spend the money. Yes. yes. That's, and that's, that's, that's those are two great points. points. Real quick, because we're running out of time here. Dallas Mavericks tied for sixth. Some people will probably think they should be higher. They were 13th last fall. Um, Porzingis has had a good second half. Obviously, Doncic remains a top 10 player. Very exciting about him. Um, they've done some good things developing some players. Tim, are you good with them being tied for sixth, or do you think that's off? 
Yeah, because in the methodology, it, it includes draft picks, and they had to strip their draft picks to trade for Luka and for KP. However, true. I think everybody in the league would have made the trades that they made when you look at the team they have now. And again, like if you're just talking about young talent, there's no, there's probably no two guys in the league you'd rather have going forward than those two guys, assuming KP stays healthy. And then if they have the ability to go into 2021 with max cap space when Giannis and all these other guys are available, they could be set up to be the team of the 2020s if, if that works out for them. Pelton, where were the uh, where were the Mavericks uh, a year or eight months ago in the rankings? So that was right after they had made the trade for Porzingis. They already were up to 13th at this point. So it wasn't necessarily a huge jump then. But if you look back two years, they were 22nd in March 2018 before they got Luka. That's pretty good. Uh, all right, we're going to talk about the Bulls who this week made it known that they were going to change over their front office. This has been... Coming, um, really, I think since January, there was a good feel in the NBA that uh, there was going to be some change to the front office. What was uncertain um, was whether John Paxson, who's been their general manager since or their president or general manager, whatever, the head decision maker since, I think, 2002 or 2003, maybe 2003. 2003. Um, I remember um, uh, it was right when I took over the the league. Um, Jerry Krause. Um, Wait, you took over for Stern? I took over for Stern. <laughs> yep, I grabbed, I grabbed the Stern, I grabbed the, uh, the reins, and I've been operating ever since. When I took, I, when I entered the league. You, you vetoed the CP3 trade. Um, so uh, Jerry Krause had just left the Bulls. Am I right in saying that? Is he left, and, and John Paxson was promoted? I think, yeah, it was two guys way through the season. Okay, well, here's what I remember: at the pre-draft camp in 2000. Three, uh, he, he was at Moody Bible College, which is it had like four courts or three courts in a row, and there was this running track, and everybody in the NBA was on this running track, uh, ringing it, and it was like a whole convention every day of this draft camp. It was my first time there. It's not like that anymore. And I remember Jerry Crow. I think the Portland Trailblazers GM job was open at the time, or they were thinking about hiring, and I basically. Yeah. Which had just been fired. Okay. Jerry Krause was in the court with Steve Patterson running, like the president of the team. Or that something sounds like right. That. Yeah. Uh, I remember basically Steve Patterson and Jerry Krause were behind me. You know, Jerry Krause is no longer with us. Steve Patterson may, for all I know, deny this. I don't know. I was 25 and stupid. But Jerry Krause and Steve Patterson were in the corner, and I'm pretty sure Jerry Krause was essentially interviewing for the Portland Trailblazers job uh, in that corner at that time. But anyway, um, John Paxson's was present for a long time. He no longer, he is going to move probably to another role in the organization. Uh, he's going to, as far as I understand, he's going to stay with the team. Uh, Gar Foreman is likely not to be, or to be um, really reassigned within the organization. Uh, Tim, this is something that you and I have talked about quite a bit because uh, look, this is still a top franchise. It's still a franchise that is desirable. And the indication is they're not going to go out and try to spend a whole bunch of money to poach a, a GM, poach a Sam Presti, or poach a Masai Ujiri. They're going to try to hire, um, you know, an up-and-coming guy. I mentioned two guys right off that's already been mentioned, Bobby Webster and Adam Simon. Um, Chad Buchanan from the uh, from the Pacers, who uh, has been in Portland and in Charlotte, withdrew his name. Um, who else am I? Oh, uh, Arturis. Arturis Karnishevis from the Nuggets. Too. From, from Nuggets, who was, I think, going to be a leading candidate. Uh, he's a general manager of the Nuggets. Um, is this a good job, Tim? 
There's no question it's a good job. And you know why it's a good job? For the reason we've been talking about. John Paxson has been running the team for 17 years. In the NBA, there is nothing that guys look for more or people look for more when they're running a team than stable ownership that's going to let them do their job. And the Bulls have proven that they are willing to do that. Not only are they willing to do that, it is Chicago, which is a great city. It's a huge market. It's a team that should be able to, if it is good, attract talent to come there and play. Um, it's got all, it's got everything you could ask for. They've um, never really attracted job. talent though, unfortunately. Well, They've... but you, but you also could say that about the Celtics until they did, right? Like, yeah, I mean, up until the last couple of years, teams didn't, free agency wasn't a thing that, like the Spurs never signed any free agency until they got LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, the bottom line is if the Bulls are really good, I think they'll be able to sign players if they go that route. Um, but set that aside. The bottom line is it's a big market with stable ownership, and you should have the ability to go in there and have control of basketball operations and do your job. And that's why you're going to see a lot of young, talented executives like Bobby Webster, like Adam Simon, like Arturis Kronishevis all be interested in that job because it's got a lot of attractive qualities to it. Pelton, you had them ranked 29th in management, <laughs> only ahead of the New York Knicks, who's kind of incomplete, I guess, right now. Leon Rose has been on the job for 15 minutes. Um, you've got them ranked 23rd. They were 22nd last fall. What, what's been their history of rankings, if you look at your sheet there? They have been down here in the 20s for a long period of time. Right. Actually, remarkably, they were number 30th overall in uh, September 2017 after they made the Jimmy Butler trade. But uh, they haven't been outside the top, outside the 20s since uh, May 2016. Hence, why there's a front office changeover. <laughs> um, they've got a couple of big time hot potatoes. Number one, they've got Otto Porter, who the trade bore fruit in the short term. He's been hurt all year. Probably one of the hardest guys to trade in the league right now. If I, they had, go that. I would not go that far. Because he's only got one year left on his I mean, contract. He's an expiring right. contract. I mean, let's, all right. I mean, it's not, he's it's, not it's, it, it, it's not. It's not a good contract. Okay. Um, I don't know what to do with Laurie Markkinen. Uh, that was a guy they were highly invested in. I cannot see them signing him to any meaningful extension. And if you don't, you might as well look to trade him. And I don't know if you trade him right now because his value is so low. Um, Zach Levine is a quality player, but very highly paid and not a number one. Um, what, what is your viewpoint on them? Why are, why is, you know, the, their player ranking is very low. I saw. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they have not been a very good team. I mean, I think if you're, if you're looking at this Bulls job, you're looking at the summer of 2021, because at that point, Levine's going into the last year of his contract at 19.5 million. That's a really good number for him. Even, you know, if, if he, uh, is perhaps not the number one guy, like you said, they've got Thaddeus Young and Tomas Sadoransky, who they signed last summer. Both of their contracts are partially guaranteed. If you want to, you can stretch those players, uh, sell guaranteed contracts and, create some additional cap space that way. Uh, then they don't have any other fully guaranteed contracts on their roster. They've got team options on their guys on rookie contracts. So they'll, they'll have a lot of cap space that summer, much like a lot of teams, because the Porter contract will be up. Markinen will be a restricted free agent, assuming you don't extend him. I, I would probably come in and take a year to really evaluate things, see what direction this franchise is going, see what you're going to get from that front court of Markinen and Wendell Carter, see what Kobe White becomes, and then choose a direction in the summer of 21. 
All right, we'll be watching them. We'll see if they can break into the top 20 in the next year. Um, all right, Tim and, and Kevin, thank you so much. We really enjoyed it. Please check out these entire power uh, future power rankings. There's some really interesting stuff in there. We only really scratched the surface. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective Podcast. Try to have a good week.